Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 641. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Great way to do it. Got a new class out, Reading John C. Calhoun. So if you're not on the email list, you don't know about it. But if you're on the email list, you already know about it, and you're getting a great deal on that class. So that deal ends pretty soon as I'm recording this, right? So this is uh, Memorial Day when this podcast comes out. And so that deal is out there right now. But you're going to want to be on that email list. It is a fantastic course. And in fact, I'm going to kind of bridge today's podcast into that a little bit. But also, you can support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that heart button under this video. If you're watching it, the super thanks button, you can donate that way. You can throw me a few bucks. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. As always, though, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we continue to spread the word and how we get more people interested in the topics of the day. And this is, this is a Pat Buchanan day, right? So I am going to talk about... Ron DeSantis and Hamiltonianism. I'll get to that this week. Uh, that was a listener-generated episode, and so if you want those show requests, send them to me. But I want to talk about uh, this article that Pat Buchanan put out on May 27th, um, and it's about equality. And this is something I, I addressed last week with democracy. What is democracy? We're really wrestling with these issues now in America, and we're wrestling with these issues because we have unlimited central power. And so a lot of the things we talk about, right, whether it's the culture war, whether it's financial issues, fiscal issues, that all comes back to the issue of power. And so when we talk about Calhoun, and again, I'm going to, I've got this new class out. We go through, I go through several documents that Calhoun, public documents Calhoun wrote or speeches that he gave. And I cover them almost word for word, what he was saying there. Because most people don't read Calhoun. They just simply have a platitude or a slogan about Calhoun. That's the great uh, problem with John C. Calhoun. And the great tragedy of John C. Calhoun, by the way. But when we look at the, the issue of Calhoun and what he was saying about the Declaration, this is what the, the Pat Buchanan piece gets into, all men are created equal. Calhoun is considered to be a heretic. Because he didn't believe that line. Well, I'm here to break the news to you. Most people in the founding generation didn't believe that line either. 
It was only made important when we start getting to abolitionist, the abolitionist press in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. People like William Lloyd Garrison and others as they move forward. And then, of course, Abraham Lincoln elevates it to almost mythical nature in the Gettysburg Address. And so people have run with that in a way to make you think this is what the United States was founded on. This proposition, this is the proposition nation thesis. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is what I'm getting to. The proposition nation thesis is that there was a proposition that all men are created equal. And that was the formation of America. Joe Biden has said this several times as president. Now, of course, he actually cites um, the... <laughs> the uh, uh, declaration from the Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls, right? And as as the Declaration of Independence. It's pretty funny what he's doing there. Most people don't realize he's doing this, but you had a women's rights organization led by Elizabeth Cady Stanton in the 1840s, and they published a Declaration of Resolves, essentially, and it was, the first line is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. And, uh, or one of the lines in, in the document. And it's based on the same structure and format as the Declaration of Independence. And so this is exactly what Joe Biden is citing. He's not citing the original declaration, declaration. He's citing a document from the middle of the 19th century when he's doing this. Because that's when the Declaration took on a new meaning. As Gary Wills said, Lincoln revolutionized the revolution. He made it into something it never was. And so when we start talking about this term equality, and what the new term is, is equity. I was taking a, uh, a seminar of... A, a, that I had to get involved in for my for my day job, right? And it was about teaching and what we had to do in the classroom. And they're no longer using the term equality. And what they did is they showed this little image of three kids. And one kid was standing, this was equality. They were at a fence. The tallest kid could see over the fence. The kid in the middle could see sort of over the fence. And the kid in the, in the end couldn't see. So that's equality. Everyone's equal. The fence is there. They're all equally standing at the fence. But what they say is, that's not even good enough now. Now it's equity. The kid that can already look over the fence, well, he just stands there. Then they put boxes under the other two kids to give them a hand up so they can all see over the fence. So what the point of society should be is to give boxes to everyone to see over the fence. Well, who's going to do that? Well, of course, your friendly neighborhood government. And who's going to? how are they going to do this? Well, who paid for those boxes? It's always the question. Well, probably the kid that was tall enough, he didn't need a box. So... If everybody put in their money to this situation, right? Let's say the smallest box costs a dollar and the largest box costs two dollars, and they all put in uh, they all put in two bucks to the situation, or let's say they all they all put in a dollar, right? They all put in a dollar. We got three dollars. The smallest box costs a dollar, largest box costs two dollars. Well, the kid that put in a dollar, he lost everything. The kid that put in a dollar got his money back. The kid that had the $2 box got his dollar and another dollar. But that's what has to happen here in order to enforce equity. And what Calhoun would say is everybody put in $2. Well, then there's $3 left over, and that's unjust because then who's going to spend the $3? Well, the two kids there, on the end, they outvote the one kid. And so they could take that $3 and they could do something else with it to enrich themselves at the expense of the one kid that doesn't get anything. right? So that's not real equality. That's not even equity. That's plundering. And this is the whole point. Equity is naturally going to lead to plundering. You're going to have to plunder somebody or something else to get to equity. And it has to come from the government. So what Calhoun was constantly worried about was that effect. And this is where he came up with a concurrent majority 
and how he thought that the minority, which generally he said is going to, is going to become a faction, a minority faction from those that have means that are going to be taken from them. You see, Calhoun's entire position, his whole life, his whole political career was not about slavery or banking. Hey, these were issues. What he was always worried about was power and the abuse of power and what would happen if government had monopoly on power and they could determine the extent of their own powers and the states had no check on that and the minority had no check on the majority, a numerical majority. In a three-person situation, you've got two to one. And those two people, if everyone has to put in equally the amount of money, are going to get more out of it. So it's not really equality, it's equity. And the equity is not really equity, it's plundering. We don't think of it that way. Well, these kids get the box. Now it's all equal. It's not equal. It's not equal at all because the person who is not getting anything is being plundered. At the So the other two can have a different situation. And they can outvote that, that third kid every single time. And they can even raise the amount of money. So, again, you start with a dollar, and they say, well, you know what? We want $3 per person. And so the other two, that, that guy that commits $3 is not going to get anything out of it. The other two are going to get six. They're going to get $9 to decide what to do with, and they're going to take all of it for themselves. You know, why not put themselves an umbrella? The other kid doesn't get that. They can do whatever they want, and that's naturally what's going to happen when you create a situation of a numerical majority and when you have all kinds of revenue involved. In fact, you know, Calhoun was concerned about having too much revenue because that would create the spoil system, the plundering. And I'll talk about that this week, too. I have another article on finances that I'll get into. But I want to get back to, to Pat Buchanan, and this goes back to democracy. There is a, democracy and equality and equity. These are all terms that are thrown around. We've just decided in America without really any evidence that this is the best system to have. Now, of course, we don't want monarchy. We don't want an elected monarchy. We don't want plutocracy. We don't really want oligarchy. We want some system, and Calhoun would even say, we want some system of democracy, but it has to be the right, you have to have the right checks on it, or it's going to be just as bad as anything else. But we've just decided this term democracy means, well, that's great. It's just great democracy. It's great. Well, what kind of democracy? And how do we check the power? Because democracy has its own problems. And one of the problems is this push for equity. So let's get into this piece by Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan is great. Um, if you've taken my Southern Cultural and Intellectual History class, I actually have a, a speech by Pat Buchanan in that from the 1990s. It's in part four. Um, but this is, he has his own website, Buchanan.org. And he says, Make America Think Again. You know, a, that's, that's the title. This is great. Make America Think Again. And he shares columns. But the title of the piece is All, Are Men, All Men Created Equal? And uh, he begins with a quote. Where is the historic, scientific, or empirical proof of the defining dogma of American democracy that all men are created equal? Where is it? And as Russell Kirk said, ideology is a political religion. And he says, and what is the defining dogma of the political religion or ideology of America in 2022? Is it not that all men are created equal? This is Pat Buchanan saying this. Yet, as with every religion, a basic question needs first to be asked and answered about this defining dogma of liberal ideology. Is it true? Is it true? So if you're looking for truth, you have this dogma. All men are created equal. Is it true? He says, are all men truly created equal? Are all races and ethnic groups equal? Are men and women equal? Are all religions equal? Or do we simply agree to accept that as true and treat them all equally? All Americans, we agree, have the same God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
the same constitutional rights in the Bill of Rights, and the same civil rights enshrined in federal law. But where is the historic, scientific, or empirical proof of the defining dogma of American democracy that all men are created equal? That's what he asks us to quote at the top of the piece. Thomas Jefferson, the statesman who immortalized the words, did not believe in equality, let alone equity. How he lived his life testifies to this disbelief. When he wrote the Declaration of Independence that contained the famous words, Jefferson was a slave owner. In that document, he speaks of the British as brethren, connected to us by ties of our common kindred, ties of blood. But not all those fighting against us were the equals of the British. There were, Jefferson wrote, those merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. So he's saying, look, there's different people here. We're not fighting the same type of enemy. We're fighting the Redcoats in one, and we're fighting the Indian savages in another case. And he also talked about the Hessian mercenaries, who were also not at the same level as the British. Buchanan leaves that out, but he talked about another group of people who were not equal to the civilized warfare of the British, these mercenaries who only knew plunder. That's what they were sent over here to do, right? So you've got uh, all kinds of things going on here in this declaration. And I, look, this is a short piece. It's a you know, very short piece. Buchanan writes, uh, writes well, and he's done this for his entire life, his entire post-political career of writing these little op-eds, which, I mean, he's, he's an expert at it. But you have another question to ask. What did Jefferson really do, not just in his own personal life, but how did he, how did he, how did he go beyond this? I mean, uh, Kevin Goodsman, in his book on Jefferson, his recent book, gets into a chapter on this. And he says, look, Jefferson didn't believe this. Jefferson didn't believe this at all, um, ever. Even when he's shown evidence that could suggest that uh, people were equal, regardless of race, he denied it. And so Jefferson was not a firm proponent in this idea of equality. And John Taylor of Caroline uh, wrote a few years after the American War for Independence that, yeah, I mean, we all kind of, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid here. We, we drank it, I should say, drank the Kool-Aid here. And um, we, we decided that that was a bad thing to do, um, that we really didn't believe that. And uh, it, was a, it was a mess. It was a disaster. And so as you move forward into Southern history and you get to people like Albert Taylor Bledsoe who wrote a little book, Liberty and, uh, Liberty and Slavery is the title, but he talks about this term equality in it. It's a philosophical book. Bledsoe, of course, was also a theologian. But he, he talks about this and he says, look, I mean, um, you, can have, um, you can have people that are, you have liberty but not equality and, um, you know, your, your liberty can be taken away even if you are equal in rights. So, I mean, he's talking, he really works with this phrase and he says, you know, the, the abolitionists essentially are running with this in a direction that Jefferson never intended. Nobody ever intended it to mean what the abolitionists mean. And historically, if you go back, Barry Shane's book on the Declaration, which is fantastic, um, he, he just essentially smashes this entire thing when he says, look, uh, yeah, I mean, what they were talking about here is equality of equality under the law, essentially equality as British citizens, British subjects, but they weren't talking about this way that it's been taken by the left, that people are equal in equality of condition or equity is the important thing. And as I was talking about with equity, you have to be very careful of that because it leads to communism. As Calhoun points out in one speech, he talks about communism and he says, this is what's going to be the natural result of this. And he's right. He's right. Um, so this is why you should be taking that class on Calhoun, because 
All of this stuff is out there. People have been saying these things for over 100 years. We just forget it. And why do we forget it? Because of slogans and platitudes. Calhoun, defender of slavery. Well, you can't like Calhoun because he defended slavery. So everything he says is forfeit. It's just stupid. It's, it's intellectually dishonest. It doesn't, it's, not, it's anti-intellectual, I should say. Uh, now, uh, Buchanan continues, in 18, an 1815 letter to John Adams, Jefferson celebrated a natural aristocracy among men. The grounds of this are virtue and talents. The natural aristocracy I consider as the most precious gift of nature for the instruction, the trusts, and government of society. Jefferson was an aristocrat, not a Democrat. Uh, now, he did believe in a natural aristocracy. He was not, he didn't believe in a hereditary aristocracy. There's a, there's a point there. He did believe in democracy. I think to say that Jefferson uh, was not a Democrat. He believed in democracy. He believed that uh, the people were better capable of governing than what most people realized. But he certainly believed in a natural aristocracy, and he wanted to find the best in society to run the, the state of Virginia or the United States. This is where his idea came in for at least everyone getting a rudimentary education, and then you find the best out of that, and you promote them beyond that. So he would recognize that not everyone was equal. Intelligence? No. Skills? Talents? No. There's no way we're going to have equality here. Uh, but you, everyone should have a rudimentary education. Sure. You read? They should be able to read. They should be able to do basic arithmetic. But that's really it. I mean, we've take, what we've done in American education is think that everyone needs to have calculus, for example. And Jefferson would never agree with that. Well, you make sure that people can read and write. You make sure people can do basic math because these are essential skills. And, and most people's lives are never going to use calculus. They'll use basic math. They can use some basic logic. They can use some geometry. They can use things like that. Of course, they can all use in a civic a society like ours where you have to have civics. They can all use a basic understanding of government and history. These are all things that they could use. But to advance everyone, he never would have thought that. Buchanan says Abraham Lincoln opposed slavery, but did not believe in racial or social equality. That's true. Though he cited Jefferson's all men are created equal at Gettysburg, he had conceded in an 1858 debate with Stephen Douglas that we cannot then make them equals, adding that the white race in America should remain the superior position. I mean, Lincoln said this stuff. This is where, you know, I talked about last week when Nicole Hannah-Jones comes out and says, well, this is what, Lincoln wasn't fighting to free the slaves. Of course he wasn't. Nobody was until about midway through the war, and then you only had a small segment of the Union Army that was on board with that. More did get on board as the war progressed. But for the most part, I mean, Union soldiers, majority of whom, were not fighting to free slaves at all. Lincoln wasn't doing that. He said it. And Lincoln was a racist by the modern definition. So why is he given a free pass? Well, Nicole Hannah-Jones is not going to let that happen. And you have a lot of people who aren't going to, I mean, on, on the left who won't let that happen. But, of course, they're excoriated for this, generally by the conservatives, but also by some others. But this is true. I mean, Lincoln said these things. Uh, with, with the board, Brown versus Board of Education decision desegregating public schools in 1954 and the Civil Rights Acts of 64, 65, and 68, a national effort was undertaken to bring about the social and political equality that Jefferson's words of 1776 seemed to promise but failed to deliver. At Howard University in 1965, Lyndon Johnson took the next step, declaring, quote, freedom is not enough. We seek not just equality as a right and a theory, but equality as a fact and equality as a result. 
So this is, again, this is where you get back to Nicole Hannah-Jones and what I talked about last week. Jones is simply saying, we had this promise of a proposition nation. Lincoln's promise in Gettys at Gettysburg. Jefferson's promise in the Declaration. We had this promise. We never had it. No one ever fulfilled that. And so you have Lyndon Johnson step up in 1965 and say, we're not, we're, we're going to go for more equality as a result. And so they're basing, Johnson was, you know, you could argue that, and some people, conservatives have tried, Johnson was you know, playing fast and loose with the facts here. But Johnson, I mean, what Nicole Hannah-Jones is doing is doubling down on what Johnson said in 1965. We haven't ever gotten that. Equality as a result, we still have all this economic inequality in America and social inequality in America and all these inequalities. We still have all this inequality out there. You promised it. You haven't. You failed to deliver. If the proposition nation is the basis of your political ideology, if you're a neoconservative or a Straussian, and that's the basis of your ideology, you're giving the entire game to the left. Because you can't win that. Of course, when you say equality is not the basis of the American political philosophy, the American founding, then you concede nothing. I mean, you know, we may not like Abraham Lincoln's words or John C. Calhoun's position on slavery or Thomas Jefferson's position on slavery, whatever it is. You go back to these people. Jefferson was a slave owner. I may not like that. But the response should be, so? What does that have to do with what they're saying about government or uh, the powers of government? So, that should be the answer. And no, shut up. Right? I mean, we need to change the entire game. When you, when you try to play this game, well, and you try to, well, but Jefferson, or maybe Lincoln, or maybe Calhoun, we, you don't do that. They were what they were. We don't agree with those positions now in 2022. We don't agree with slavery. We don't agree with racism. We don't agree with those things. Okay, so that should be a given. Right? We don't agree with that stuff. And, but... They were that so. So, what is that? I mean, and so? Okay. Well, let's talk about what they were really saying. In Calhoun's case, it was about power. Let's get into that because that's the important thing. Buchanan continues that over half a century after the Civil Rights Revolution, incomes and wealth are not equal, nor is there equal representation in professions like law, medicine, and higher education. President Joe Biden's people have pledged to black America that they will mandate and deliver that equality of results. If equity does not now exist, the Biden administration will impose it. And why not? If all men and women are created equal, the most reasonable explanation for a consistent inequality of riches and rewards between men and women in black and white is that the game has been rigged. An inequality of riches and rewards exists because systemic racism coexists in American society alongside white privilege. The remedy is also clear, as Ibrahim X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, told the New York Times' Ezra Klein, quote, Racist policies are defined as any policy that leads to racial inequality. Intent of the policymaker doesn't matter. It's all about the fundamental outcome. Think of what he's just done there. You could be completely neutral, but if the outcome is not what they want, well, the policy is then racist. It has nothing to do with the people involved. It's the policy. It has nothing to do with how, I mean, natural. I mean, we don't, we don't, enforce equality and say athletics because we see that there are people that are better athletes than other people. We're fine with that. We're fine with inequality in so many things except for political hot potatoes. Then we're not. 
Thus, a policy that ensures an equal place at the starting line but consistently fails to deliver an equal place at the finish line is de facto racist. If Asian and black kids start kindergarten in the same class and Asian kids in the 12th grade are studying calculus while most black kids are still trying to master algebra, racism alone, by Kendi's rule, can explain such a regular result. The solution to persistent inequality? Mandate equity. Mandate equality of results. Mandate equal rewards for black and white. Compel the government to produce policies that deliver an equality of results. But what if inequalities have another explanation? What if Asian Americans are naturally superior in mathematics? And I think I don't know if that's necessarily the case, of the, but the culture... The culture there is at a point where you, you must do it, right? And I think that culture matters. And so it's not necessarily that people can't do these things or that one is better at mathematics than the other. It's that the culture is defined as you need to do these things, right? You, you, you have to be good at school and not accepting anything but excellence is the point. And I think that's the issue here, where we have to understand what's going on. Culture matters. And if your culture is such that excellence is not expected or uh, excellence is not encouraged, you're going to run into this problem. And that's where you know we get into some of these issues. But anyways, uh, what if an inequality of rewards in society is predominantly a result of inequality of talents and abilities? Well, I mean, I think that individually we can see that across the board. Right? I can't go out and play in the NBA. If we had equity, I should be able to do that. I can't go play Major League Baseball. That would be great. I can't do that because I can't throw a ball 95 miles an hour. I can't do those things. I can't go to Huntsville, Alabama and start building rockets because I don't have, I wasn't talented enough in mathematics to go do that. But I found my talents and what I could do and hopefully do them well enough that you would like them. This is, this is my talent here, what I'm doing now. What if it is more true to say that based on human experience, no two men were ever created equal than to say that all men are created equal? As Kirk said, ideology is political religion. What we witness today is the refusal of true believers in egalitarian ideology to accept that their core doctrine may not only not be true, but may be demonstrably false. Well, this is true. Once you have an ideology... Everything has to work towards that. I mean, you, you can't accept anything else. And he says, concluding, what we are witnessing in America is how true believers have, when they behave, when they realize the church in which they worship has been erected on a bright, shining lie, and reality must inevitably bring it crashing down. Well, I don't know if they're realizing that, or if they're just continually saying, well, you know what, I have this ideology, and I'm going to keep doing everything I can to make it happen, regardless of what's going on around me. I mean, they, they're dogmatic. They're zealots. And zealousy is always an issue, no matter what issue you're talking about here, with people that are just going to keep pushing, 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 pushing at the expense of everything else. They're zealots. The left, the progressive left, particularly the social justice warriors and the cancel culture people, these people are zealots. And I think Americans are waking up to this. And they're saying, you know, uh, this, this isn't a good idea. Uh, we need to we need to clamp down on some of this stuff uh, because this is not this is not uh, going to work for society. It's it's divisive. You're you're witnessing you're witnessing you know dogmatic religious individuals. They're zealots, and so we need to stop. You need to stop. Uh, now, not everywhere, and uh, we know this isn't always the case, but 
This is what's going on in some places. So I like this piece by Buchanan. I mean, bring up this, I mean, this heresy just to say that maybe this whole idea isn't true. Maybe Jefferson really didn't mean that. Maybe, uh, but that's not heresy. Uh, but to say that, you know, maybe there's something to this beyond maybe Jefferson didn't mean it the way you think he meant it. Maybe the proposition nation is false. Again, heresy. Uh, but Buchanan is good at doing that and stirring the pot, so to speak, um, and getting people to think about these things in different ways. All right. So, hope you enjoyed this episode. Get that class on John C. Calhoun. I'll see you tomorrow for the Brian McClanahan Show.